The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Wash my hands. I don't touch my face. I stay at home. Shelter in place. Social distance. Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves Stay away from church I avoid old folks And should I sneeze I do it in my elbow Or up my sleeve Six feet apart can go back to school I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu Roku, Netflix PBS and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors and I'm sick of what I see of quarantine will be the death of me the death of me I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy a TV and a few things more but when I 
get there All I can find Is sixteen honey buns And some mad dog wine I'm washing my hands Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, cause I'm sick of what I see. Yeah, two more weeks of this quarantine's gonna be the death of me. The death of me. You know, they say this is war. So we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bad soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, yes, dear, yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized as <laughs> soon as I regained consciousness. The Tom Sumner Program.com Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and a little bit of a guilty pleasure coming my way this hour, and hopefully yours as well. One of my favorite uh, TV shows from the 80s is uh, back, in a way, in a new book by uh, television historian, pop culture storyteller, and author of several books, Scott Ryan. The book is called Moonlighting, an Oral History, and Scott joins me by phone to talk about that and more. Hey, Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, let's, let's talk about moonlighting. I, you know, for the last year and a half, most of us in the country have been shut down and, uh, you know, quarantined and sheltering at home and uh, all the different ways you can describe we haven't been going anywhere and um, as a result we've been binge watching a lot of old tv shows and stuff and networks cable networks and even broadcast networks are binge broadcasting shows why haven't we seen moonlighting 
mostly because I have a book coming out about it. <laughs> and they just really want to be sure I don't have that kind of success. It's a, it's a master plan. Um, the real answer is that it's the music. So this show was broadcast from 85 to 89. Oh, okay. There was no home video. There was no thought that you would own a TV show on DVD. And streaming wasn't even a thought. So when they got these songs, there are no contracts for them. You know, one of the one of the people that worked on the show told me the story that when Glenn wanted to use Be My Baby by the Ronettes, that Phil Spector just brought the master over to the studio, put it in, they laid it in the episode, he took the master out and he went home. And that was it. I mean there's no contract for this. So for it to stream, you got to pay all those people. And Disney owns Moonlighting. So we need everyone to pressure Disney to pony up for Jimi Hendrix and the Ronettes and Billy Joel and Janet Jackson. And let's get Moonlighting and, streaming. And, of course, you have to mention Al Jarreau. Yes, of course, <laughs> Al Jarreau. Can't but I'm Al sure Jarreau. there's a contract for the for the theme song. I would hope they have a contract for that. Um, but yes, everyone loves that theme song, man, and it is a great one. Well, yeah, that it's it's funny because it's on. I think his uh, greatest hits record, and you know, you're listening to these songs, and you're thinking, "Oh, this is a great Al Jarreau song." This, and then all of a sudden, the Moonlighting theme song comes on. And it doesn't stand out as, oh, that's the, t the theme song that he did. And it was interesting. Uh, Glenn told, Glenn Gordon Karen's the creator of Moonlighting, and I asked him about it. You know, how'd you get Al Jarreau to do this original song? And he said that it was their idea. He actually went to Al to license a song, and they said, what if he just writes one for you? And Glenn was there at the studio. He said he looked down at the lyrics. They didn't make a lick of sense to him. And he thought, I don't know if this is moonlighting at all. He said Al walked into the booth, started singing, and he was like, then I got it. He said with that music and the lyrics, when they come together, it just was moonlighting. And those are some of the stories that, that uh, come out in the book. And yet it's not like, uh, you know, those... Um Oh, and I can't think of the producer's name, and I and I really should because all of his TV shows had the story of the TV show in the lyrics. And I'm thinking of right. Gilligan's Where Island. A lovely, and, yeah, sure. You know, it's the story of a lovely lady. Yeah, the Brady Bunch and and all right. of the shows that he produced all had that same element in their theme song. But this was like really pop music for a theme. Yeah, I mean, it was a contemporary song written that day. I mean, written right in the time when they were making the pilot of the series. I mean, so it's it's mid-80s. It, it couldn't give you that great feel of 80s music. I mean, there's some bad feels of 80s music, but this is like <laughs> the good feels of 80s music. Um, well, and, and it's hard to miss with Al Jarreau, but, but the music of the show was cool and the show was cool was that 
the intention or was that something that different members of the team brought to the table? Uh, it certainly was an intention. They set out to do something new. And it's kind of an interesting concept because today that is what everyone's trying to do. I mean, you're always trying to break the television mold. But in the 80s, that really wasn't how television was done. And Glenn Gordon Karen wrote basically every script, or at least the final draft. And he said he wanted to see something he had never seen before in every episode. That is a tall order for everyone to try to achieve. So it, it was all planned out to be as cool and hip and irreverent as they could get. And, and what about the casting? Bruce Willis and um, uh, Sybil, Sybil Shepherd. Shepherd, thank you. Um, what about the casting of those two for the lead roles? Um, that's, that's not the match I would automatically make. Yeah, so the, the script was written with Sybil Shepherd in mind. But he never thought he would get Sybil. But his agent got it to Sybil, and she read it, and she loved it immediately. She is a huge classic movie fan. She, for many years, lived with Peter Bogdanovich and studied film. And when she read it, she recognized it immediately as a Howard Hawks screwball comedy. And she just knew what to do. So there never was anyone but Sybil Shepherd in mind for the lead of Maddie Hayes. Bruce Willis, that was something completely different. And, you know, we spend a decent amount of time in the book going over the casting of David Addison because everyone was playing it very straight. And they wanted someone a little dangerous. Uh, how many men did they interview? This is an oral history, so I ask everyone the question, and everyone has a different answer. You know, some people say... 100, some people said 300, some people said 1,000, but they really saw just about every guy who was working there. When Bruce Willis walked in, they knew immediately. They just said that was it. He was new and fresh. The network absolutely hated him and fired the casting director because they said no woman would ever be attracted to this guy, Bruce Willis. <laughs> Did he come out of nowhere as much as it seemed as a viewer? Yes. Yes, he literally came out of nowhere. I mean, it, it really is the truth. He had understudied Ed Harris in an off-Broadway play. Now, that's about as no, you know, no credits as you can get. Um, he... He was just starting. He was a bartender. I mean, everyone knew him as a bartender at this famous bar in New York City. And they had an attitude. The producer said that when he came in to read, he hopped up on the table and just read from there. And that's what they needed from, from David Addison, was just somebody to break through that mold of the perfect guy that was all over television in the mid-80s. More about moonlighting with television historian Scott Ryan straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about moonlighting with television historian Scott Ryan straight ahead. Now, when you were looking at the first of all, what got you to look at moonlighting to begin with? It's um, is is it because it set some trends? Well, because my mother made me. How about that for a good answer? Uh, I, <laughs> I like that answer. <laughs> I was 15 when Moonlighting premiered. I remember coming home from school the next day, and my mom said, you have to watch this show that was on last night. She had taped it on a Betamax. That's how old I am. Go ahead and Google that, listeners. Here you I know what a Betamax is. And she said, you have to sit down and watch this. And I'm like, I don't want to watch some stupid show my mom likes. <laughs> and of course, as soon as David Addison burst on the screen, it was like he was the hero I was looking for as a 15-year-old teenage boy. I mean, David Addison is right there. So honestly, I've been a Moonlighting fan since that. The very next day that the pilot aired, I've been all in. Um, it just took me this long to get a connection to the people who made it and and get the access that you need to do a book like this. Yeah, but you've written books, uh, The Last Days of uh, Letterman, um, 30-something, At 30, An Oral History. Um, you, you've been able to get access. Um, it's still so hard, though. Like, it's interesting because Moonlighting is my fifth book, and, you know, I, I'm already starting my sixth book, and I'm trying to get interviews, and it's starting over. Like, nobody answers your email. They don't want, they don't trust you. Even though I have work to show them that I don't do hit jobs on the things I cover, it's, it's all history, and, and it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing personal against everyone. It's, it's just what happened. It doesn't work that way. You always are starting at ground zero, at least for me. You know, I always have to fight to try to get in there. And it's like every book is just as hard. Do you get full access once you're in? I mean, do people tell you the the secret behind-the-scenes stuff? Yes, they do, and I'm very grateful to that. I mean, I always tell my wife, you know, I'm sorry that the thing I'm best at is interviewing people, so that doesn't really help when we get a flat tire or when the shingles need replaced <laughs> on the house or, you know, if the oil needs change. I can do none of that. I'm practically useless as a spouse, but the one thing I can do is if you sit me down with a creative person, I can have a conversation with them and get them to talk and share and and learn. You know, that's, it's, it's a useless talent, to be honest. I, I mean, I really wish I could build something or, you know, farm or whatever. But what I can do is interview. <laughs> well, I, I wish you hadn't called it a useless talent because I've been trying to convince people that it's not. But um... <laughs> Well, for you, you got your own show. I don't know. I'm just saying for me... You know, a lot of times when the picture needs hung, I'm like, I don't know, I could interview the guy who painted the picture. But. <laughs> what about the relationship between uh, Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard? There, there was a lot of stuff in the tabloids about them not getting along as well as they did on screen. 
And basically, it's all true. Uh, they, they had a very tumultuous relationship. And they fought all the time. The entire set was, was filled with stress and high energy and ego and all of that. I mean, it's, it's basically just all true. But that, Sybil told me, I was, I was so grateful to get to interview Sybil Shepherd for this book, and she's so sweet and, and a really, really wonderful person. She told me that was just their process, that fighting with Bruce is what, they, you know, if they had a scene where they were going to fight, they fought in real life beforehand. And, and, you know, she loves Bruce, Bruce loves Sybil, but they fought all the time. I mean, that just... That was their relationship. But it also maybe helped to make their their screen energy much stronger, much more apparent. Definitely, I think I think it totally did. And she she admitted that the um, the feelings that they had were so real. <laughs> Uh, she said the first time she met him, her temperature went up 10 degrees. So. <laughs> I suspect there's a lot of people that have said that about Bruce Willis. Yeah, except the ABC executives, because they, they, they wanted nothing to do with him, which is hilarious. Um, how was he with, with the, the rest of the crew and the, and the people that had to help make the show happen? Um, I think that it was a journey for all of them. Um, it was a lot of stress. They rarely had a script. In fact, they never had a full script from the beginning of the series on. They were always behind. So you never knew what you were filming tomorrow, today. So much so where they wouldn't even know who did it. You know, there's an episode with Dan Loria from The Wonder Years. He played The Wonder Years' dad. And he was a cop. And he had played the episode one way for the first three acts. And in the fourth act, he got the script, and he found out he was the killer. And he was like, well, I, did, I haven't been playing. <laughs> well, you're the killer now. And so there's a lot of stress in that. Um... So I think everyone probably got some bad Bruce eventually and, and, you know, some bad Sybil. But they all sort of understood it, and they are all a big family. And I think that's the help in this book being 30 years old, is that everyone was willing to talk because it happened a really long time ago. And everyone's yeah, that's true. Nobody's mad at anyone. And I don't know why, but as as we're sitting here talking, um, Scott, I can't help wondering why they never did a reunion or a film. Um, I think it's it has a little thing to do with Die Hard. <laughs> I I think once Bruce made Die Hard. And Die Hard 1 and 2 and 3 and 17 and 24. Um, <laughs> the chances of him coming back to do David Addison were probably pretty, pretty slim. Um, and that, that might be the cynical answer, but, you know, the more... Uh, my truthful answer is it would have ruined it. I've never seen a reboot that, that has been good. And Moonlighting was the section of time 
Um, and it's a lot of what I write about in there, that there, there was this thing called the Battle of the Sexes going on in the 80s, which now seems quite ridiculous in our era. Right. But Moonlighting just rode that so perfectly. You know, I don't know if you could have that, that same thing right now. So I don't think a reboot would be a good idea. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting because there was uh, Moonlighting and Remington Steel, and those were both sort of throwbacks to um, the Nick and Nora Charles movies. In a way, definitely, and heart to heart uh, yeah. is another one yeah, that, great that had that, that same sort of thing. In fact, even and, more so, heart heart to heart. Yeah, Be- because I mean, like that, Nick and, and Nora Charles, they were actually married. Right. I mean, very much so, and I think that is why Moonlighting has stood out against Remington Steel and Heart to Heart. Nothing against those shows, but they didn't really, you know, I don't think people are still talking about those shows as much, where Moonlighting took that conceit, but then turned it on its ear and talked to the camera and did episodes where they do Shakespeare and there's a black and white episode, there's a dance number episode. So it was so creative and inventive that I think it's been able to to last outside of the 80s. Well, it, in fact, uh, the black and white episode, um, it was was kind of interesting because of the use of the song Blue Moon. And and they were working for the Blue Moon Detective Agency. Yeah, it's such, several things are so beautifully. The, you know, I, I heard a quote in the uh, television show The West Wing, and somebody was talking about, studying American history and uh, the character played by Martin Sheen said oh American history that's just television um, <laughs> what why is television history so interesting to look back at we have so many shows that we're still watching I, I, from Leave it to Beaver to Mash to you know all of these different time periods, but throughout the history of television, a lot of shows are still around. Well, I'll tell you, I'm about to get deep, so Good. everybody, you know, go ahead and 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 get your pens and paper, child, because we're about to get lecture here. <laughs> well, um, come on, it's about time you act like a, a television historian, right. Scott. I'm going to tell you why. It's because Americans are raised to not really speak the truth. You know, it's considered impolite to really tell someone how you feel, to express what's going on, to talk about politics, to talk about anything that's real. But I'll tell you what we can talk about, television. Oh, I mean, how many times throughout this pandemic, as you had mentioned, did you say to someone, oh, what are you binge watching? Oh, you're that? What episode are you up to? And it's how we speak to each other. Randy Newman is my one of my all-time <laughs> favorite songwriters. He has a song, um, and it's funny that the title just slipped right out of my head, but it's the first song on Bad Love. So people could Google it, and right now it'll come to me. But it's all about how he talks to his family through watching television. 
and it's one of my favorite songs. So I think that's why this happened. That's fascinating um, because, you know, when I look back to, you know, when I was young, which was a long time ago, um, my parents were real funny about talking about certain things. And they talked a lot. I mean, they were both, you know, professional communicators in, in many ways. And they were storytellers, and, and they were really fun. But there were things that we didn't talk about. Um, sex, politics. Well, my parents talked about politics, but that's a whole other show. And um, um, religion. Not that anyone cares, but I looked and up money. and the name of the song. The name of the song is My Country. It would have killed oh. me if I didn't get it. It's called no, My good, Country. Good but now continue. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but it was killing no, me. No, I, I, what I was going to say is the things that were off limits for talking was, you know, sex, religion, politics, and money. Right. And you just, you didn't talk about those things. No. And... So you're you're right. I, I, that's a brilliant observation, and it would not have occurred to me. But TV was the thing we all talked about at the water cooler. Yeah, I mean it's what bonds us because it comes into all our homes. We watch it. It's why it's different than a movie. Although one would argue that today movies do certainly come into our home. But but again, we're talking about back in the eighties and. And why these classic shows, like you mentioned, Leave it to Beaver, we already talked about Brady Bunch, you throw Star Trek in there. And even you mentioned the West Wing. We can talk about politics through the West Wing and how we wish our politicians would act. You know, I've always viewed West Wing as a fairy tale. It's, it's a grown-up fairy tale. It's what we wished we would get, not what we do get. And so that, to me, that's why. we, You know, and even in studying... This book, it does reflect on things like the Battle of the Sexes, you know, how women were treated. Sybil Shepherd talks about how it was a really big deal that she got top billing. That wasn't happening for women in the 80s. Uh, you can better believe Robert Wagner had top billing over Stephanie. Well, Tyler. sure, but, but, in, um, but in Sybil's case, she was the star power. She was the one who was well-known. Oh, no doubt about it. But she did say that's one of the only times in her entire life she's had top billing. So it doesn't matter. I mean, in most times, um, she, does, she didn't get top billing in all her movies and things like that. You know, Jeff Bridges is going to get over her in Last Picture Show. Charles Grodin's going to be over her in The Heart great kid it's just the way it was so you know the, it's, it's an easier discussion if we discuss that than if we really talk about the underlying thing so that's um, how many seasons how many seasons did moonlighting run it went five seasons but they never did 22 episodes the first season is only seven episodes because it was a mid-season, and they had so many reruns that, you know, for the most part, they would maybe make 15 a year if you were lucky, uh, because it took them so long to make episodes. What, what caused them to take so long? And, and I, I have to wonder if 
there was something about the production of that show because as I think back on it and without having seen any episodes recently, it seemed like the special effects were pretty good. Well, I mean, that was part of it. They, they spent a lot of time to make it, make it work, but it is mostly because everyone talked so fast. So one of the things they said (laughs) is an average script, for like L.A. Law or 30-something that was on at the same time, might be 45 to 50 pages. And a short script for Moonlighting was 85 pages. Um, They just had so much to write. So they were almost making double episodes because Bruce and Sybil were talking at the same time and it was fast-paced. And then they had all the crazy chase scenes. And all of that took time and money. So it was, that's what would just put them behind. And like the episode where they do a Shakespeare play, Taming of the Shrew, <laughs> it's not on any of the sets. It's funny. You know, you all the costumes. Yeah, you, men- you mentioned that episode. And, and I remember it, you know, from all these years later. Yeah, it was really great because Vanity Fair just did a piece on it from an excerpt of part of my book and that was what they wanted to focus on. Everyone thinks about that Shakespeare episode. Uh, that's the one everyone's drawn to. The, what about the, the other actors that appeared as regulars on the show? So Elise Beasley played Mr. Pesto. She was fabulous. Oh, and she's such a sweetheart. I love her so much. She's been so kind throughout the process. She just finished the book and sent me the nicest text of how much she loved it, so that meant the world to me. And Curtis Armstrong played her love interest, Herbert Viola. And he was a great interview. I mean, he's very famous as a character actor. He was in Revenge of the Nerds and, you know, New Girl and a million other things. And he also is very professional. And they honestly had to take up a lot of the slack from Bruce and Sybil kind of, you know, causing trouble on the set. So when they (laughs) didn't want to work, Curtis and Elise had to step up and work. I mean, and, and pick up scenes. And, you know, they said they always had to film on Fridays because... Bruce and Sybil wanted to go home early, and and so they were they were big troopers. <laughs> Bring in the B team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, you know, Scott, we're getting close to the uh, the end of our time, and I feel like we could talk about this plus some of your uh, your other work indefinitely because I I am television incarnate. I I love television. Well, I'm happy to come back anytime you need someone to blab. That's what I do best. I can't, well, like I say, I can't change your tire, but I'm more than happy to to talk about TV. Well, and I would love to have you on and talk about TV. Do you do, do you do mostly TV history, or do you look at and, and review and comment on new shows? Um, well, I would do new shows. It's just the access. It's so hard to get. You know, um, I absolutely love The Good Fight. 
that's on CBS Access. I love Fargo. But you're just not going to get those actors. Uh, someone at my level, and I'm not talking down to me, I'm just being realistic at where I'm at, it's so much easier for me to get the access for a show that is older because those people are willing to look back. Um, I would love it if somebody would give me open access to a, a show that people could actually watch. That might be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be fun if you did, and, I, and I, I'm always ha- I would be I would always be happy to have you back to talk about. Um, whatever the next book is you're working on, I don't know what it's about, but uh... that one's a Twin Peaks book. So oh, it's about, uh, cool! I uh, they released a movie called Firewalk with Me in tw- in 1992, and next year will be the 30th anniversary of that Twin Peaks movie. So the book is about that movie. Well, that sounds like fun. Anyway, um, you know, as, as far as talking down to yourself, I I, th- I think you've done some amazing things, and you know, I I'm feeling honored to talk to somebody who had access to the moonlighting people. Oh, I'm honored every day. <laughs> I'm, I I really am. So I'm very very grateful. It's been an incredible for me to get to do this. Well, we we have to wrap it up here in a moment, but um, Scott, it's been a real privilege and an honor to spend a little time with you, to get to know you a little bit, and to talk about this new book, Moonlighting, one of my favorite uh, TV shows, Moonlighting, an Oral History by Scott Ryan. Scott, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I sure do. It's called Scott Ryan Productions. Dot com, and my publishing company is FayettevilleMafiaPress.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Luck Story. Well, Scott, thanks so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you, and this was a great interview. I really appreciate it. Take care. Once again, the name of the book is uh, Moonlighting and Oral History by Scott Ryan, and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. So come walk the night, come fly by day, something is sweeter, cause we met along the way.
Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Mr. General Public, do you realize that we got a generation here of staring eyes? The women never bother getting housework done. They just sit around talking at television. The kitties never run and playing out of door. On top of that, they never reading books no more. You ask them who's the father of our country, man. They say was either Walt Disney or Ed Sullivan. Oh, television. Television, I'm sick from a looking on television. I got the weak in the eyes, weak in the head likewise, from sitting and looking on television. The burglar comes sneaking in and breaks the latch, while grandma, she is looking on the wrestling match. She throws him on the floor, although she's 90 years old. She says, I got him with a step over toe hold. Turn on Elvis Presley and my daughter scream. I fear she have a nervous breakdown cause of him. I wonder why he wiggle waggle to the beat. As a boy, he must have had a loose bicycle seat. Oh, television, television. I'm sick from looking on television. I got a week in the eyes, week in the head likewise. From sitting and looking on television. Children of the country eat their dinner, you bet. But they eat it sitting in front of the TV set. They got pudding in their ears from the north to the south. From eating while watching and missing their mouth. Last night a very unusual thing occurred. The baby he is saying his very first word. I have him on my shoulder for to make him burp. Instead he open his mouth and say why it burp. Oh, television, television. Take it away, television, television. I watched the late, late movie and I climbed the stairs. Get into bed and have television nightmares. Complete with bad commercials that repeat all night. Both incompatible color and black and white. Someday my son grow up and want to go to sea. So he probably go and try to join U.S. Navy. He get an aptitude test, man. Now here's the rub. They find him best suited for watching Mickey Mouse Club. Oh, television. Television, I'm sick from looking on television. I got the weak in the eyes, weak in the head likewise. From sitting and looking on, sing it again, man. Television, television, oh, I got the weak in the eyes, do you know what likewise? From sitting and looking on television, videotape. May help somewhat. But is it art? Don't make me laugh. The story of Little Blue Riding Hood is true. Only the color has been changed to prevent an investigation.
This is the woods. My name is Wednesday. I work out a homicide. Monday, February the 2nd, 10.22 a.m. Bumped into chicken licking. Told me the sky was falling. I booked her on the 614, turned her over to the psychiatrist. Then a call came in at a 503. When I was on my way to the 503, a 618 came in. I added up the 614, the 503, and the 618. Got 1,735. I handed in my paper to the chief. He corrected it. Gave me 100%. Patted me on the head. Told me I was a good cop. 11.45 a.m. It happened. I saw a little girl in a blue hood carrying a basket. I stopped to question her. Pardon me, ma'am. Could I talk to you for just a minute, ma'am? What about? Nothing much, ma'am. Just want to ask you a few questions, ma'am. What's your name? Little Blue Riding Hood. Where are you going, ma'am? Grandma's house. Yes, ma'am. What do you got in the basket? What are you trying to say? I got something in the basket I shouldn't have? No, ma'am. I didn't say that. Then why are you asking me all these questions for? Just routine, ma'am. We just want to get the facts. May I have a look in that basket, ma'am? Be my guest. Let's see. Sawed-off shotgun. Knife. Bludgeon. Box of dum-dum shells. Nothing suspicious here. All right, ma'am, we may want to talk to you later, so don't leave the woods. She skipped on down the path, but she didn't know I'd seen the concealed compartment in the basket. In it, what I'd suspected all along. Goodies. My job, get to Grandma's before she did. I took a shortcut through the strawberry patch. It was sort of a strawberry shortcut. I walked up to the cottage, rang the bell. Come in, dear. Okay, Grandma, it's a raid. A raid? Why, I'm just a peace-loving old lady. You've got the wrong Grandma. Yes, ma'am. We just want to get the facts. Where'd you get that bump on your head? The sky fell on me this morning. I made a note to book her on the 614 and turned her over to the psychiatrist. I tied her up, put her in the closet, then I put on the Grandma suit and got into bed. Come in, ma'am. Hello, Grandma. I got the loot. What are you doing in bed? I'm feeling poorly. But, Grandma, what big ears you have. All the better to get the facts. I just want to get the facts, ma'am. But, Grandma, what a big subpoena you have in your pocket. All the better to serve you with. But, Grandma, what a big 38 police special you have pointed at me. All the better to take you in. You're under arrest. You and your grandma are operating a goodies ring. A cop. I should have known. Known what, ma'am? You look nothing like my grandma. You forgot about the mustache. But I don't have a mustache. I know. But Grandma does. Well, I see you broke the goodies ring How'd you get a lead on her, Joe? I just played a hunch, Frank It was just a hunch I played my luck Sometimes a hunch pays off Sometimes it doesn't I was just lucky I just played a hunch, Frank What you're trying to say, Joe Is you just played a hunch A lucky guess Sometimes a hunch pays off Sometimes it doesn't You just played a hunch Is that what you're trying to tell me, Joe? Yeah I just played a hunch This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Another five-minute mystery. Our story takes place in Green's Gap, a small town in the Southern Cavern District. Greens Gap Hospital, Dr. Melville speaking. Doctor, doctor, there's been an accident out at Echo Cavern. Accident? What kind of accident? Two men were exploring and they got lost last night. One's unconscious. You better come quick before he's dead. I hope you know how to get out to Echo Cavern, Len. 
Well, with the job of being town constable and ambulance driver, I reckon I know all there is to know about these parts. Ever been in the cavern, then? Once, Doc Melville, when I was a boy. Nearly got my hide tanned off by my paw. Echo Cavern's a mite treacherous place. You mean it's easy to get lost in it? Not only that, Doc. It's that cavern gas carbine, mm, something. You mean carbon dioxide? Yeah, that's it. All of a sudden, you run into some of that stuff, and before you know it, bing, you're out. Still, people seem to be going uh, exploring in there. More fools to be. I wouldn't go into them caverns, at least till I was not without a dog. A dog? What for? Well, if a dog keels over, then you know the gas is collecting. I'm afraid, Mr. Gaddy, your friend is dead. Oh, poor Patsy. It wasn't from the gas, was it, Doc? That's what it looks like to me. Why'd you go into that cavern anyway? Patsy asked me to. We'd never seen a cave before. How far did you go in? Well, it didn't seem very far, but all of a sudden we lost our way. Where was that? Well, how do I know whereabouts it was if we was lost? We tried to trace our way back, but it was no use. Patsy started to get scared. It's kind of funny to see a big guy like that get scared. Yeah, he is rather big, isn't he? Yeah, six foot four. The mob used to call us Mutt and Jeff. And then what happened? Well, I was a little scared myself, but we stuck together. You know, walking in the dark with only my flash from the car. All of a sudden, Pat's keeled over. From the gas? Yeah, that's what I figured. His head hit on a rock, and I guess that just about finished him off. I suppose you reckon yourself pretty lucky, mister. Yeah, sure. I figure it's because I'm only five foot three that I got out of there alive. Gas must have been just about a foot over my head. Yeah? And what do you think about that, Doc Melville? I think you better arrest Mr. Gotti for the murder of his friend Patsy. What was the flaw in Gaddy's story? Do you know it? In a moment, we'll hear from Lem and Dr. Melville. And now, let's see whether you're as observant as Lem and the doctor. Hey, copper, let me put my hands down. They're tired. When you're in Green Gap's jail, not before. I don't get it. It was a good story. I still can't figure out how you found out. Lem tells me they used to take dogs in the cavern because the gas is heavier than air. It collects on the floor. If you really meant gas, you would have keeled over first, before your pal Patsy. Well, what do you know? I tell you, nowadays in this murder racket, you need a college education. Another five-minute mystery. This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, Sean Cantwell, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. Stay tuned to the Tom Sumner Program for future mini-mysteries.
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 